Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. So great. Hey, can we welcome everyone joining us online at Jeff Jail. We want you to know we love you. You're part of us. Come on, guys. Let's welcome. Welcome them for sure. Well, guys, listen, we are continuing our series on the seven, the, the letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. How many have appreciated the word of God, how it's spoken to us and shaped us? And, and come on, is anybody with me today? Second service, I need some energy from you guys. Come on. All right, it's good. <clears throat> but before I get into this message, I just, before service, we had a, uh, someone gave our video announcements and maybe you don't know her, but I just want to let you know. Um, so grateful. Her name is um, Heidi Folletta. She's our past small groups pastor and our impact team pastor. And so anyway, I just want to let you know, introduce her to you. She's busy right now, but I uh, want to let you know she is on our staff and we're grateful that God brought her. Can we just give her a thanks for being here to serve in our, in our midst? Well, guys, listen, we are continuing this series. And as we lean into the word of God, as we lean into these this letter to the seven churches in Asia Minor, which is the modern-day Turkey, we're being challenged deeply. And what I love about the Word of God is that a letter that was written to seven churches of believers a couple thousand years ago is still relevant to us today. As you will find, society hasn't changed much. But also what you will find is that neither has Jesus. He hasn't changed at all. And he still has a purpose. He still has a mission for the church. And he still wants to encourage the church and encourage us today. And as, as we started this series several weeks ago, we said, listen, each week as we look at a different church, we're going to find ourselves in the seats of that church. We're going to find the, the church itself. We're going to find ourselves as a church as a whole in them and them in us. And we're going to learn. We're going to receive God's, God's encouragement. We're also going to receive God's critiques. And we're also going to respond to God because he's actually the leader of the church. And so therefore, we should do what he wants us to do. Amen. Do you agree with that? What I love about this is that the Word of God is still alive. You might say, you know, Jason, I don't know. I mean, the, the Word of God's a long time ago. It was a different context. I, it doesn't really still mean what it says. Yes, it does. And actually, the Apostle Paul spoke to this very thing out of Romans chapter 15. I want you to see it and be encouraged by this today. He says this, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures, and the encouragement they provide, sorry, they provide we might have hope. And the encouragement they provide is that we might have hope. Today, I want you to receive hope. Wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want us as a church to receive hope as we look at these, these incredible words from Jesus. And a reminder, this is a letter penned by the apostle John, but Jesus showed up to him, his old friend on the Isle of Patmos, and he wrote this letter to the seven churches in Asia Minor, and we're going to learn from it, we're gonna grow in it, and so we want to receive all that God has for us today. And this is a reminder as we get into this. I wanna give you some information about the city, but also a reminder leading up to this, we, we explored the letter to the church in Ephesus, where they were busy, and they, were, uh, they, they had a lot of things going on, programs going on, but Jesus said this, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. 
They were busy. They, they looked good, but their hearts had drifted. They had forgotten the one whom they have served and who they were doing all those things for. And Jesus drew us and them closer to him. And that's what we always want every time we gather. But also then there was the next church in Smyrna where the letter to them was, I know you're suffering. I know you're going through a lot. And I want you to know something about me. I'm here for you. I'm here with you. I will encourage you even unto death. I will preserve you and keep you because I'm a good God and I'm your Savior. And today we get to the church of Pergamum. It's a kind of funny name. Before service, I was back with Pastor, uh, Pastor Mark, and he goes, I think actually they have that on the Starbucks menu. It's, uh, it's called the Pergamum Spice Latte. Is that correct? I said, no, it's not it. It's a funny, funny name, but it's important you understand what's going on. Just like if someone was to read about us years from now, they'd want to know what kind of city we lived in, what, kind of, what was the culture, what was happening so I want, to, I want to give the backdrop of this church or of the city first, but then look into what's going on in the church and see what God wants to speak to us today. Pergamum, they were very influential. They were very educated. They had one of the, the largest libraries in the world at that time. They were actually the center of learning, and that's where everybody came to study. They came to, to learn more about different philosophies and also religion. It was the epicenter of of education and knowledge. And this was Pergamum. It was a very well-known place. It was also known for a hospital. They had a a famous hospital that leaders from all over would come. It was a little different than the hospitals. We know because you would go to this hospital and you would, they would admit you, but before they treated you, they would put you in a a lovely room full of snakes. And so you'd get to hang out there, but they'd give you a sedative before. And so (laughs) as you fell asleep, if a a snake crawled over you, it it meant that, wow, that was divine. And then the snake would, would know what was wrong with you. And then the snake would communicate to the those who were going to be treating you, then they could treat you. Also known as weird. It was just super weird, okay? <laughs> but they thought it was, it was everything that was going on. All of that is connected to the pagan worship that we'll hear about in just a moment. But this was the world that they lived. It was known all over the place. It was also the epicenter of political power. It's where the governor of all of, of Asia lived And the governor had absolute power, which is important. I want you to catch that. He had absolute power in Asia. He had incredible influence. The city shaped education, politics, cultural, um, the whole cultural makeup, religious activities, medical of the day and age, and and all of Asia was there. It was the epicenter, the leaders, but there was also, it was also an epicenter of something, or excuse me, someone else. And in just a moment, you're gonna find out it was the epicenter of Satan himself. The city was teeming with demonic spirits, dark religions. And then God's people showed up and began to proclaim the gospel and people were saved. They were rescued from the hands of the devil. They were delivered out of abusive religion, sexual perversion. And what this shows me is that the power of the gospel can enter any dark world or culture and transform it and rescue people. That's the good news. And so we as a church need to understand if the gospel was how the church started, we need to know this, the gospel will be how the church continues. 
Somewhere along the way, we drift, we get mission drift, we pick up on little niche things and we build a whole church or ministry around it. But the truth is this, that which started the church, the proclamation of the gospel, is that which will maintain the church and that's that which will sustain the church and that which will grow the church is the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's not a place too dark that the gospel of Jesus can't go and transform and light up because it is the power of God for our salvation. And we know that. So we see the church do that here. So regardless of the place, regardless of the situation, we see that the, the, the gospel broke in a dark city with demonic strongholds hurting people. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's still the solution today. The church, though, began to grow under persecution, began to grow as, as people were converting from pagan worship and, and burning incense to idols and demonic, just crazy stuff. Also, there were, there were Jews who were converting and becoming followers of Jesus, and they were being persecuted from all sides. The church was thriving there was major pressure towards the churches, towards Christians to compromise so they wouldn't be at odds with the world around them. And so there began a teaching in the church that actually was about them compromising. It wasn't from the pastor, what we know in church history. It was, uh, it, it, it was more like this. Hey, listen, you can, you can appease the pagans. You can go and burn incense at the, at the pagan uh, you know, temple. You can just engage with them a little bit. You can make sacrifices to another god. You can join their festival. You, you, can, you can show a little support their way just to let them know, hey, I'm with you. You know, you can do that and it's okay. Even though you don't have to totally agree with them, you can just show them you support them and you support their cause and you support what they're, you can just, just align yourself a little bit. You can do that. And then by doing that, you're showing the love of Christ that you, that you care for them. And you do that by aligning with them. But here's the truth. The Bible calls that compromise and sin. It's quiet. But that's what the Bible calls it. These believers were tempted with compromise. They were, they were tempted to align with their neighbors to spare themselves from getting persecuted, to getting canceled by them, if you want to bring it into our culture. So Jesus spoke to them in this letter and spoke to them regarding these things. And as we look at Christ's message to this church, we're not, only, we're not only going to see what he expected from them, living in an age of compromise. We're going to see what he expects from us. My encouragement to you today is that God is raising up a church that is holding fast to his teaching and his word. I want to encourage those of you who have families and children. I want you to know something. God, your children do not need to be a statistic. They do not. Your children, as you anchor them in the word of God, are going to be able to walk there, and your children are going to flourish, your family's going to flourish, and you're going to be able to remain steadfast as we lean into this and as we learn from what Jesus wrote them in an age of compromise. So let's read, starting Revelation 2, verse 12. To the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, these are the words of him, who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has its throne. Wouldn't that be interesting? Like, who's your neighbor? The devil. 
He's my neighbor. He's right there. Jesus is like, your neighbor's Satan. Okay, I know that. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, which I'll talk about later. My faithful witness who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. There's some interesting things in there that we're going to cover that I believe God wants to do something in our midst and in our families. We need to remember this. These folks are living in a day and a time when the world is constantly trying to influence their beliefs, trying to deceive them and define for them, believers, Christians, what is right and what is wrong. Same way, if you were to look at our culture today, that's exactly the world that we live in as well. We live in a culture that's trying to deceive us, constantly tell us what is right and what's wrong. The truth is, is this, we don't have to look very far to see a culture that Satan has, has, uh, has influenced and is influencing, that also that culture has influenced and deceived some of Christians in our own churches across America to embrace He's deceived Christians actually to embrace their definition of right and wrong. And the devil has deceived them, making them think, you know what, that's what real love is. Real love is just like here in, in Pergamum where, you know what, just compromise a little bit, just give in a little bit, just align yourself a little bit. And by doing that, you're showing them that you share the love of Jesus. The problem again, that is called compromise and God detests it. And he's He's talking to them and talking to us. Actually, what's really interesting is the language that even that's coming from Christians is, listen, that's what Jesus would do. Jesus would do that. Jesus would, 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 would just compromise a little bit just to show them that they're, they're, they're not alone and that he stands with them. The narrative sounds so convincing because it's shrouded in the language of light, but it's really darkness according to the Bible. We need to remember this, that the Bible tells us Satan disguises us as an angel of light. Why, 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 why is that important? Because he deceives people to think something is righteous when really it is evil. And that is where they were and that, my friend, is where we are as well as the church, as Christians in America. Are you with me? And we need to understand that. So there is a, a spirit of deception that shrouds itself in language of light to deceive us, to embrace and align our, our, our lives and our ways and our thinking and our speech with the realities of evil and darkness. We need to hear from Jesus today. 
We need to be equipped as the church and to learn from the words of Jesus. Listen, every generation <laughs> needs to hear this message today. Because I know, I know what you're thinking. You know, well, that generation needs to hear it. And actually, that generation is thinking, you know, that, I wish that generation would hear this message today. No, we all need to hear it, all right? We all need to hear it. The fact is, the enemy is after your families. He's after you to think, ah, oh, it's not a big deal. Just, just give in a little bit. And he uses culture to infiltrate your lives, our churches, our families, our sexuality, our emotions, our minds, our souls. But I've got some good news for you. Jesus gives us some truths to stay strong in the age of compromise. He believes in you, he is for you, and he's given us the principles to remain strong in the age of compromise. Amen? So, the first truth to keep you strong living in the age of compromise from this passage is this. Number one, Jesus sets the standard of right and wrong. This is how you, this is a truth that will help you remain strong in the midst of compromise. Jesus sets the standard of what is right and wrong. This church that we're reading about lived in an age when men and and People and women were seen as the ones who can define what truth is and what truth is not. The governor, who, who I, I said earlier, he lived in the city. He was, he was the governor out of all of Asia. And he had ultimate power. He was the cultivator of culture. He was, he was the one that allowed demon worship in the city. To allow abuse to happen. To allow sexual perversion and violence and actually, he was referred to as the one who holds the sword of the right hand, meaning he could decide right from wrong, life or death. He was a big deal, but that's what they called him. But he was known to hold a sword, a symbolic reality. He determines what is right and wrong. But Jesus get, comes out of the gate. He knows where they live. He knows the governor of the area. He, sa- he comes out of the gate and he defines to them who it is that sets the standard of right and wrong. And this is what he says out of, out of this, uh, the beginning of this passage. These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. In other words, hey, that governor, his sword ain't got nothing on my sword is what he's saying. He doesn't determine what is right and wrong. I do. And he's letting the church, he's encouraging them to know this. And so what we know is this, that when we see the double-edged sword throughout Scripture, it speaks of the Word of God. So Jesus is telling them, hey, listen, we have, you have the Word of God, which is one, the words that I'm speaking right now. But two, we have the Word of God that, can set, that sets the standard of our lives. Jesus re- was reminding the church, my friends, and reminding you today, the sword of the Word of God, that is what draws the lines of standards in our lives. That is what sets the standard. Jesus is saying, that sword is mine. That sword belongs to me. I am the leader of the church. I am the God of of the world. And I set the standard of what is right and wrong. Now, so many times people think this, yeah, but God is all about, he's he's got these rules. Christianity is these rules. You can't do this. you You can't, listen, that is the wrong way of seeing that. And the enemy wants us to think that following Jesus is a list of rules. And it's not. Because when, when God says to do something or to not do something, actually, let's start there. When God says to not do something, it's not because he's a joy killer. It's not because he's trying, to, he's trying to bum you out. He wants to punish you. No, he tells you not to do something because he's a good father and he wants to protect you. 
He wants to protect you. When God says in his word, okay, don't do this, it's because he wants to protect you. But also when God says, I want you to do this, it's not because he wants to control us or violate our freedom. It's because he wants to bless you. So here you have a God who's, who's for you, he is with you, and he gives us the word of God to protect us and to bless us. To me, that sounds like a pretty good deal to me. I want to be protected and I want to be blessed by my God. And he says, okay, here's, here is the standard that I've set. If you'll follow this, if you'll ask me to help you follow this, I'm going to protect you and I'm going to bless you. That's why God gave us standards in the word of God. He gave us the word of God to protect you and to bless you. The standard of God is the word of God. The standard of God is the word of God. It's like an umbrella in a rainstorm. That's what the, that's what the standard of God is like. It's always been there. It's for us. It's written to us. It's a letter to your family to help you and to strengthen you. It's the way that we're protected. It's the way that we're blessed. Now, here's the, here's the thing. If we want to be protected by it, if we want to be blessed by the standard God sets, here's what we have to do. We have to make a decision to come under it, and, when we, and we get under it by making a decision to obey it. Therefore, we are protected and we are blessed. Here's the great thing about God. If he knows your heart is to, is to follow his word, if he knows that there are things in your life and you're like, man, Oh, God, I don't know why these desires keep coming up. I, I'm trying to crucify them. They're, God, I want to come under your standard. Here's the beautiful thing about God. He just looks for a willing heart. And if he sees a willing heart and you say, Lord, I, I, wanna, I want to live according to your standard. I want to be protected and blessed. Then he, he reminds us and he activates the deposit of the Holy Spirit that is in you, that's been given to you to help you live for him, follow his standards. And here's the other beautiful thing about our God. When you stumble and when you fall, he then gives you the grace and he himself picks you up. He says, come on, dust yourself off. We're going to keep going. I am with you. That is the God that we serve. So here hear me today, God is not looking for, protect, for perfection. He is looking for a willing heart that says, Lord, I want to be under your standard. That's what he's looking for. So many times we think, oh no, I have to be perfect. No, you have to be willing to allow Jesus to help you to be perfect. Because here's the reality. You couldn't be perfect even if you, if you on your best day, think about this, on your best day. You're not perfect. That's why we come in Christ, and in Christ we are clothed in his righteousness, and by submission to him we come under his protection and his blessing as we honor the standard of the word of God. In the age of compromise, our hearts need to be tuned to the word. They need to be anchored to the word. And here's, here's the reality. We live in a culture that wants to convince you and your family they know what's best for you. They, they want to tell you, this is what you need in your life. This is what will give you a purpose in your life. This is what will give you satisfaction in your life. And it's, it's, this, it's this voice that is, that is it's, it's whispered its way through the church. They're the ones that want to define, this is what love really looks like. I know the Bible said this, but this is what love, this is what Jesus would do. Or, or this, God made you. To be you, so just follow your desires. That's what the world wants you to think. And it sounds kind of, oh, okay, that makes sense. God did make me. Okay. 
Or, I, you know, I know the Bible says it, but listen, God, that's not that big of a deal to God. He loves you. He cares for you. God forgives you. He just wants you to be happy. And so just follow, follow your desire of happiness. And all of that in, in, in language, it kind of sounds like, okay, you have the fatherhood of God. He's a good God. All good gifts come from the father of lights. And Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yes, okay, so God does want all of this. But the problem is it violates Scripture. And God never violates his word. He is bound to it. So when someone tries to elevate this and say, see, God is so great. And he wants you to be happy. But they're violating this. They are guilty of deceiving you and they are giving in to the teaching of the Nicolaitans that was in the church they are deceiving you by playing on the goodness of God while forcing you or caught deceiving you to be deceived because the word doesn't say what they're saying you hear me today this is what culture wants you to believe listen so many lives and so many families have been shattered and sacrificed on the seductive altar of what culture defines as happiness. And in the church, we're not going to have it in Jesus' name. Amen? <clears throat> My friends, you will avoid, your family will avoid traps of the world if you allow Jesus to set the standards from his Word. Listen, the Word of God is alive. It is active. It wants to move in your life. That's why Hebrews 4.12 says this. And be encouraged by this. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. As we read it, it shapes us. This means that we have in our hearts, think about this, and in our minds, good and bad. We have right and wrong that we wrestle with as, as people because of the culture and, these, and these, this deception that's after us. We have, we have right and wrong, evil and righteous, and the word of God cuts away the bad. The word of God cuts away the wrong and the evil and shows us what is good and right and righteous and empowers us to walk it out. The word of God is important and is God's standard for our lives. Jesus is saying, listen, I know you live in a world that wants to alter your standard. I know that. I'm aware of that. But also Jesus is saying, I want to be the final authority of your standards. And he says, let me remind you that I hold the sword, the double-edged sword. In other words, I know what's best for you. Culture does not know what's best for you. So hold fast to my standard and you will thrive in the age of compromise. The best thing for parents to do is to encourage your children to thrive in the word of God. Encourage them to know what does the word say. Not what, does, what do I feel, what do you feel. Let's go to the word. Let's see what the word says about this matter. If you, will, if you will discipline them in understanding and thinking through the filter of the word, they will thrive and prosper wherever they go because that's what the word of God God does it helps us to keep on the course so we can stay protected and blessed by Jesus amen the second truth to remain strong in the age of compromise is number two your call to be a witness doesn't change so listen 
When we are living in an age of compromise, when our, when our beliefs and who Jesus is and who he's called us to be is to proclaim his word and to live as lights among darkness, to be, to be a city on a hill, to a light not to be hidden, that's what this means. We are still to be a witness in the age of compromise. That call doesn't change, my friends. These believers were in a tough spot. Instead of pulling back, instead of avoiding their call, they leaned into it. In the midst of the epicenter of pagan worship and horrible perversion, they remain true. The fact is this, you know, as you, t- as you look through this, like, Satan's throne was there. Well, what, what was going on? Here's the truth about Satan. He is pleased when people worship anything but God because he is jealous. So he will, he will promote any other worship besides the worship of God. And that's what was happening in this, in this city. But Jesus said to these believers, out of verse 13, he said this. The next verse, please, if you don't mind. I know where you live. So, so in the midst of this, they're in the midst of all of this, the pressures, the... the all the deception that's going on, where Satan has its throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Many people believe that Antipas was the pastor of the church in Pergamum. And he was a pastor (laughs) that would not stop telling people about Jesus. As he saw them ruining their lives and being deceived by Satan, his passion to tell them that really what they're looking for is only found in Jesus. And the pagan world hated him. Hated him. It's interesting that in, a, in Pergamon there were so many other religions, so many dark religions and, and backroom stuff going on and temple there's temples all over the place it's like and then all of a sudden Jesus comes and says it, the, the church of Jesus comes and says hey we want to tell you about Jesus they're like nope we can't we can't hear that but we can hear everything else but we can't hear you why 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 would that happen because Satan hates the church but Antipas just preached the gospel he just loved people he didn't back up. He didn't, he didn't, oh, you want me to be quiet? Okay, I'll be quiet. No, he kept leading the church, preaching truth. And how he died that Jesus is referencing here, which is amazing that Jesus calls him by name in the word of God. He honors him. Because he wouldn't stop preaching, because he wouldn't stop telling people about Jesus, they arrested Antipas and they took him to a place right outside of the temple of Zeus, and there they would make sacrifices in a bronze bull. It was a hollowed-out bronze bull that they would make sacrifices in. Well, they put Antipas in this bull. They locked him in, and they built fires underneath it, and he died because of his love for Jesus and his commitment to the standards of Jesus and the purpose of Jesus and the mission of Jesus that was on his life. And Jesus says, You're my faithful witness. May that be us. May that be me. I want to challenge some of your thinking today. And I just, before you turn me off, I want you to just hear this for a second. In the American church, we have the tendency that when there is pressure, when there is 
we feel like affliction or whatever else is going on. It's very, it's very interesting how the American church, we have the tendency to think this, oh, Jesus, come quickly, get me out of here. Now, I understand all throughout Scripture, it's, listen, we eagerly await the return of Jesus. And, we, you know, for the, for the catching away of God's people, which is the rapture, yes, we await that, of course. Multiple times in Scripture. But listen to me today. To eagerly await the return of Jesus Christ because you love him and you can't wait to be with him is quite different than get me out of here because I don't like it. One is fueled with the mission and the love and the intimacy with a Savior that redeemed me and called me and gave me a reason to wake up in the morning and gave me a reason to stay up at night because it's a lost and dying world and he's given me a purpose that wherever we go, whether your workplace, whether in, the, in a medical office, at a construction site, wherever, Starbucks, wherever it is, you are called to be a witness no matter what's going on around you. He's given you a mission. As the American church, when pressure and difficulties arise, if we're not careful, we can stop thinking about the mission. We can stop thinking about the purpose. We can stop sharing Christ. We can stop feeding the hungry. We'll stop, we'll stop helping human trafficking and sex trafficking. And we start thinking about self-preservation. Me. Regardless of where we live, we must remain a witness of the name of Jesus. Regardless of the pressure, we must remain a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Regardless of what culture says, we must remain true to the standards of the Word of God. Regardless of how much we stand out, God is looking for a man and a woman that will say, I will stand for what you stand in, Jesus. I will do what you told me to Jesus to do, Jesus. I don't care what the world says because I'm with you and you are with me so let's get her done that's what Jesus is looking for and that's what God's calling the church to be and to do Jesus commended them for remaining a witness and he gives them then this critique starting in verse 14 I have a few things against you there are some among you who hold to the teachings of Balaam who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Jesus commends them. He says, you're doing this. I know where you live. You're staying faithful. I'm honoring Antipas. But then he says, but you're allowing others to contaminate you. You're allowing the teachings of others, of the spirit of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. Which brings us to our third point. In the age of compromise, we need to guard what you allow to influence you. They weren't guarding themselves in the way that they should. Isn't it interesting? I mean, I just a side note, how relevant this is today as it was. Isn't that just wild? It's so relevant to us. But Balaam and the Nicolaitans are pretty much the same, the same manifestations of the teachings or the deception. But Balaam is from the book of Numbers. Balaam was a, pro the, a prophet of God, actually. And the king of Moab, Balak, hated God's people. He hated the Jewish people, the children of Israel. 
So the king said to the prophet, God's prophet Balaam, hey, listen, listen, bro, I will pay you a lot of money. I can't stand the children of Israel, and I want you to come and curse them. So Balaam's like, how much? Okay. So he takes the money, and he goes to a place, and at that moment, the moment he took the money, he became a hireling, no longer a man of God. He, became, he started to serve man and not God. But he walked over to a place where children of Israel were below, and he could see all of them. And he goes there to curse them, man. And he's ready. He's, he's, like, he's maybe already thought, this is what I'm going to speak this over them. I'm going to speak. I'm going to declare that, that they're going to be destroyed, that they're going to, to be in poverty. That they're, and he gets there and he opens his mouth. He's like, I declare that God's going to provide for you. He's going to sustain you. He's going to keep you. He's like, oh, I can't stop. He couldn't stop. He, he, he could not curse them. King Balak is like, well, thanks a lot. I want my money back. But then it goes further. But before, actually before I get into that, it's important that you understand this and you hear this today. Because in the church, there has been some teachings that the sin of your grandpappy, a great mama, or whoever it is, is your curse today, even after people give their lives to Jesus. It's important to understand from a biblical standpoint that every scripture says every curse, every curse was nailed, placed upon Jesus. He nailed it to the cross and he died. Meaning he took your curse from great grandmammy and pawpaw and whoever it is that did this or did that or was in witchcraft. He took it upon himself and he, he died and that curse died with him. And if you were in Christ Jesus, you are free from all curses that ever were. And so a lot of confusion comes in. Someone's like, you know, I, you know, I have, uh, you know, my back hurts. Well, it, let, me, let me look at your Aunt Susan. Did she do something? Like, come on, give me a break. The blood of Jesus Christ canceled out all curses. If you're in Christ, you are free from the curse. That was a little soapbox there for a second. Let me get back on here. If God has blessed you, listen to me, the devil can't curse you. That's the principle. If, God, if God's blessing is on your life, the devil can't curse you. There's a time I walked by a witch doctor in Africa. We were walking to this church, and uh, she, she came out on her front porch, and, man, she was going to town. She was, just, she was just lighting me up, and I was like, what does she want? So I was like, she's cursing you. So I was like, oh, I don't want to be cursed. No, thank you. But she just kept going and going and going. And she was, she was bobbing and weaving, and her face was distorted, and she was going to town. And first I thought, oh, my gosh. Wait, wait. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And, and, and I was like, Lord, she's cursing me, and I, I'm telling you. And the Holy Spirit said, so? What, what authority does she have over you? Jesus has blessed me, and I am in him. Therefore, every curse that man tries to put on me or the devil tries to put on me is made null and void by the blessing of God on my life and on your life. 
God, what God blesses, the devil can't curse. But we see another principle. Balaam, who tried to curse them but could only bless them, told the king, Balak, this is what you need to do. You need to deceive them into sinning. Because, my friends, sin is a doorway into the enemy doing things in your life. Sin is a doorway into his curse being manifested in your life. It's not, a, it's not a salvation thing, but it is a manifestation thing, how it manifests in your life. So he told them, this is what Balaam said. He told the king, listen, you need to, you need to deceive them. And so he put a plan together and they sent women to deceive the men. And all of a sudden they started worshiping other gods and then they started to go downhill. The spirit of Balaam is simple. It's a spirit of compromise. Jesus is saying you've let compromise come into your church, into your lives. It's important to understand this, though, with compromise. One willing compromise always leads to another compromise. Your sinful compromise will always take you further than you ever wanted to go, and you will always pay more than you ever wanted to pay for your compromise. This is what Jesus was telling the church, stop compromising. Be careful that you don't allow the influence in your life. Yes, we've seen the spirit of Balaam. We've seen the spirit of the, the Nicolaitans. We've seen it in the influence of church, American church. Some of the ways that sexual perversion has made its way into the American church where you even have churches and denominations affirming sexual perversion. It's crazy. Why? How'd they get there? Spirit of Balaam and the teaching of the spirit of the Nicolaitans. Because they want to do it out of love, but it's called compromise. Just, just to clarify some things, any sexual experience outside of God's design, which is God's circle of sex, which is one man and one woman in covenant marriage, is what's called sexual perversion, meaning it's the wrong version of what God ordained, and it's sexual perversion. Another thing that's made its way into the church is loyalty to certain groups and of people and of religions. Like we are, there's a teaching to be, just like it was with them, just, it's, just embrace them, just align with them, just go, it's okay, just show them Christ's love, it's going to be fine. And then you align yourself with something that's anti-God and fueled by the demonic. Why? Why would anybody do that? It's called deception. And church, it's time we allow the word of God to be our guide and not culture. Is it popular? No. Is it easy? No. Is God going to sustain us? Yes. And if we do it, are we going to shine like a light that's bright on a hill and bring thousands to know Christ? Yes. There was also a false teaching of the Nicolaitans also was um, that your church, or sorry, there was a teaching in the church that, that you needed to express absolute loyalty to the political leader, Caesar. Pergamum was obsessed with their love for the state. They were highly educated. They were wealthy. They, I mean, people came from all over to go hang out with the snakes at the hospital. Like, they, I mean, every, like everybody knew about them. And there was this pride, this national pride, that they're like, we're the greatest city in the world. 
So in the church, it made, it made its way in. And so what? So, so many in their church, their, what happened, their patriotism had crossed the line into idolatry. And the pressure was if you don't line up enthusiastically with the set of politics of the state, you're not a good citizen. Now, before you read more into this, because the rooms are really quiet, let me explain a little bit more. Their alignment had to be that Caesar is Lord. Christians could follow Jesus. Okay, that's fine. But this teaching that was in the church taught that they were not to let their, now hear this, Christian convictions get in the way of their public duty to obey the government. So relevant, man. This is wild. Listen, in this day of compromise, in the day of churches compromising the standards of God to appease demonic, a demonic influence culture, we need to hold fast to the word of God. The word of God is perfect. It is true. It is not to be twisted. It's not to be ignored. It's not to be interpreted by culture. It's to be obeyed as the word of God. That's why the sword is so important. When we hear the sword, the word of God is the sword. It cuts away from us the things that don't belong, the things that the culture has, has stained us with, and then it sets us apart to be something that the lost people of the world really want. Culture is not our enemy. Listen, people in the culture that are deceived by, by Satan, remember this, Ephesians 6, <laughs> that our battle is not against flesh and blood. People are not the enemy. They are just victims of the enemy. Our job is to rescue them. You will never rescue them by compromising to their demonic values. You never will. Jesus is calling out their compromise. So this is really, what I'll hit one more of these teachings of the Nicolaitans just because of time. One of the other teachings is that there was some spiritual um, abuse that was going on in the churches. So um, it, it, sound, it was very controlling. It sounded like this. Um, oh, so you're going to marry so-and-so? Well, I don't know if that's true because God hasn't told me yet as your pastor, as your leader. Or, oh, you're going to change jobs? Well, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't think that's what God's saying. And it was this control of God's people. For one, Jesus is like, I detest, actually says he detests the teachings of the Nicolaitans. In other words, listen, those are my people. Don't you dare try to tell them how to hear from me or that only you can speak to them and only you can hear me. That's not true. They're my people. And so for us today, what was happening is they were taking their eyes off of Jesus and putting their eyes on an influential man, an influential woman, which we'll talk about next week, the spirit of Jezebel. The pastor, or they were putting their eyes, and maybe for us, the pastor who's increasing in influence or the latest worship team or the latest worship group, maybe an author that God's using or the newest person with the newest formula for power. And listen, I'm grateful for all the men and women of God that God has used to, to help the body of Christ along the way. But, but I, even for Cheryl and I, we are so honored and grateful to answer God's invitation to lead here at the church. But our, pastor, our pastoral staff are humbled. We say it often. But listen, don't you dare take your eyes off of Jesus. Here at Faith, our number one desire is to make Jesus the center, to make him number one. 
It's not about our style. It's not about our particular focus. It's not about our our niche value from the Bible that we build everything else around. It's not about our name. It's not about what we're known for. It's about the name that's above every name, which is the name of Jesus. That's what we want. And so if we have drifted, if we have gotten our eyes off of Jesus, if we have allowed ourselves to be deceived, here's the reality. It happens, guys. It happens. Then what's the solution? Jesus says, I have this against you. Here's the solution. Verse 16, repent. Repent. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He just says, Repent, realign. This is the journey of the believer. We, as, if, as the Holy Spirit reveals something that's off, it's like you're, you're about a nickel off, you're about 5% off. Over time, it gets way off. He said, just, just come back. That's the encouragement to us. The next step and last point to keep you strong in the pressure of compromise is number four. Get your strength from Jesus Christ. He says in verse 17, whoever has ears, let let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the, to the one who is victorious. I will give some hidden manna. This is talking about the children of Israel who left Egypt, were going to the promised land. They weren't there yet. They were in the wilderness. And they were hungry. And they needed strength. And they needed sustaining. Listen, my friends, we are on a journey to eternity. But until then, we are in the wilderness. Actually, we're in a world that God's called us to reach, but we're in, a, in the wilderness. I mean, it, is, it isn't always the most pleasant journey from here to the promised land. Same way with the children of Israel. And so in their need, in their, in, in their, in their hunger, when they were tired, when they needed to be sustained, God gave them manna. And they didn't know where it came from. They didn't know how it showed up. It's like it was hidden and now it's not hidden. So this is a reference to Jesus being the good shepherd who provides, who leads us. He will graciously feed his people. He will provide spiritual food until they get to the promised land. What is that saying to us today? Listen, you are on a journey. You you will walk through seasons of wilderness and valleys and, and mountaintops. This is what it says. Regardless of your journey, your Jesus will sustain you and give you hidden manna. If you need provision and you're like, I don't know where it's gonna go, God. He's like, I have some hidden provision. If you're hungry, you're like, God, I'm hungry. He has hidden manna. If you, were, if you need some joy or you're filled with anxiousness or depression, you're like, God, I need, he, and you're like, I don't know. I've come to the end of my rope. Jesus is like, that's okay. I've got some hidden manna for you. He will sustain you. He will keep you because he's a good God and a good shepherd, and he has hidden manna for you today. I want you to know that, and so does he. Some of you are at the end of your rope. Some of you are hurting so deeply and you don't know where the answer is going to come from. Jesus has some hidden manna. It doesn't belong to the world. The world can't find it. You can't find it. But he will give it to you as you ask him. He will provide. Think about it. 
When you think there's no answer, when you think there's no solution, when you think I can't go on, when you think this marriage can't work, when you think I can't pay my bills, when you think, listen, as a believer, you are not subject to the rules of this earth. You are subject to God's kingdom and he will provide hidden manna to you because you're his kids and he likes you. He likes you. He just doesn't love you. Listen, I love Taco Bell and I love my wife, but I like my wife too. I want to be with her. I want to I be intimate with her. I want to get to know her because I like her. I love my puppy dog. He's great. I don't always like him. I want to give him some space. Like, come on, man, get a life. But Jesus not only loves you, not only has saved you, he likes you. He wants to be with you. And he wants to provide for you. I don't know what your need is, but I know the one who holds the solution, the manna, the substance, the provision for you. This is what Jesus is telling the church in Pergamum. He's telling you. He's saying, hold my standards. Follow me. Reject the world. Reject what the culture says. Remain strong. I see you. I know you're going through a difficult time. I know your neighbor's Satan. I know. I know that. I get it. I get it. But I'm proud of you. You've been my witness. And I know you, you have a need. Just ask me. And I will meet your need. Because I'm a good. He's a good dad, guys. He loves you. He sees you. He likes you. He's your provider. And he will give us some of the hidden manna. We'll get it all when we get to heaven. But he'll give us some right now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you're the God that sees us. You're the God that hears us. You're the God that cares for us. You're the God that provides. You're the God that convicts. You're the God that protects. You're the God that has taken every curse upon yourself. That is, as we remain in you, we remain protected from the curse. Lord, today we confess that we have drifted. That we've allowed the culture to influence our mindsets. So Lord, we just say we're sorry. Forgive us. Thank you for your word that just... It's the double-edged sword that just separates things that we didn't even know was attached to it. Lord, thank you that in the moments of deception, we don't know we're deceived. That's why it's called deception, that you through your word reveal it. So Lord, today we say examine our hearts. Examine us deeply to our beliefs, our theology of who you are, who the world is. Lord, remind us today that we're called to be a witness in, a, in an age of compromise, not to hate those who don't align with us, but to see them, see them as victims of the enemy and that we're called to reach them. Lord, reveal to us all the things that you want to transform and change in our life. And Lord, we're on a journey and I want to thank you, God, that through the work of your son, through our faith in him, we're already there at the promised land. It's secured already but we are on a journey to get there. And we ask for your provision today. Lord, we ask you for your provision over 
our families. Lord, I'm gonna pray specifically for children who have doubted their faith. Some of you parents have been hurting deeply. God, I wanna ask you right now in the name of Jesus for hidden manna to meet them, to, to, to provide for them. God, I ask you that you, we bind the spirit of Balaam or the spirit of the Nicolaitans of false teaching that they've received from a so-called believer that has caused them to compromise. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would rescue them, you would meet them, you would encourage them, you would strengthen them today in Jesus' name. God, I ask you that you would remove guilt and shame from the parent that feels like it was somehow their fault. God, I ask you that you would give them peace and rest today that they could rest in who you are and the goodness of who you are today that they could release all things to you. Lord, today in our church, I pray that if we have in any way compromised, if any way we have taken a niche and made it a theology instead of making you the center, God, forgive us, cleanse us. Lord, minister to the people here that are online, that are Jeffco Jail, that are here. We receive the manna of nourishment and provision today. In Jesus' name. Just remain with your head bowed for a moment. If you're here today and you realize, I don't know Jesus, and I need him, and I recognize that I am lost, and I haven't committed my life to him. If you want to give your life to Jesus today, this is the reason you're sitting here today. If you're online, you can do this as well. I w I'm going to ask you, nobody looking around, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and hold it up right now if you want to give your life to Jesus. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless. Keep your hands up. God bless you. Thank you. If you're joining us online, you can do the same right where you are. You can put your hands down. I'm going to pray a prayer with you. And the Bible says that if you will pray this and believe it, that you will be saved. And your friends and fellow, soon-to-be fellow believers want to pray this with you. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Pray it and mean it from your heart. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I acknowledge I'm a sinner. And I need you. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose from the dead. And I put my trust in you today. I commit my life to you. I submit my life to you. And I will follow you with your help all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's give God a hand today. Thank you, Lord. If you gave your life to Jesus today, so, so important. Text SAVE to the number on the screen. Text SAVE to this number. We want to help you on your next steps and next journey because God has an amazing plan for you. Let's all stand to our feet. It'd be my honor if you'd allow me to pray over you and bless you today. If you can, just lift your hands to receive from the Lord today. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray your blessing over our people. I pray that you would prosper them. You would lead them. You would guide them. You would heal them. Lord, that you would restore marriages. That you would restore relationships between brothers and sisters, moms and dads and, and kids. Lord, I ask you that you would set our people in the right place at the right time to step into your will and your purposes for their life. Lead us and guide us. May we as a church continue to be lights on a hill. God, may we lean into you and walk in your blessing. And God, may we remember today where you have blessed no man can curse. And we walk in that. In Jesus' name, we all say Amen and amen. God bless you guys.